Earlier this week, I came across a nice story to begin with on Mother's Day. It concerns a woman called Karen Donovan, who launched a company called Rent-A-Wife. And services that she offered to clients included decorating homes, housework, balancing bank accounts, running miscellaneous errands. And even in its infancy, the company was so successful that within a few months she was contacted by her local newspaper and asked for an interview. When asked about her plans for the future, she commented that she was considering hiring out her husband and two teenage children and launching a couple of subsidiaries, Rent-A-Husband and Rent-A-Family. And when she was asked what these companies would do, she responded, oh, pretty much what every family would do. She says they'll eat all the food, they'll turn on all the lights, put handprints on the wall, take showers and leave the towels on the floor. And when the interviewer looked puzzled, she added, and it would be brilliant for business. For when clients are finished with rent the family, they're going to have a real need for rent the wife. We've been spending some time during Lent in the last words of Jesus spoken from the cross. And this morning, since it's Mother's Day, we turn our attentions towards some words about family. From the cross, Jesus speaks to his mother and one of his disciples, probably John. And Jesus says, woman, here's your son. To the disciple, here is your mother. There are times when Within the role I play in church life, I find myself drawn into some quite private moments in people's lives. Not always with warning, not always with people I even really know. And occasionally I find myself wondering if I really ought to be here. I remember one particular incident when a matter of minutes after meeting two men for the very first time, I was sat in the room as the doctor informed them that there was no more that could be done for their mother and that she'd die within a few days. Such moments are almost too sacred or it feels intrusive to be around. And there is something quite intrusive about this little scene where Jesus looks down from the cross and sees his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And he says, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And this scene's being approached in many different ways, from Jesus caring for his dear old mum through to, in more Roman Catholic tradition, justification for the veneration of Mary. I probably lean more towards the first and the second. You'll probably not be surprised in that. But I want to touch on how this passage has something to say about three issues. Since it's Mother's Day, we'll look at motherhood. But we'll also go beyond that to look at family and then at church or the family of faith. 
One of the books I read for today contained a lovely quote about motherhood. It said, "Mother, maternal love is the love that gives, sorry, maternal love, it says, is the love that loves in order to give away. Maternal love is the love that loves in order to give away. And we can see that in this little scene at the cross of Jesus. Where else would a mother be? in her son's darkest hour, than here by his side. And whilst, as I've already commented, I don't want to overemphasize Mary's importance, the way our Protestant tradition overrepresses her role is not good either. As is so often the case with mother, Mary is the one who makes so much of what follows possible. The ancient theologian Augustine wrote that God may have created us without our aid, but he refused to save us without our help. And in the gospel narrative, Mary is the first to say yes to God sending Jesus into the world. Her words, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me according to your word, are the beginning of the gospel. Without it we have no gospel. In the cross-shattered Christ, Stanley Hauerwas comments that how in the New Testament Jesus is likened to all sorts of Old Testament characters. He's the new Adam, except he's the one that obeys rather than disobeys God. He's the new Moses, who not only gives God's law but fulfills it and lives it out. He's compared with Elijah. He's sometimes called the son of David. But there's one character Jesus is never really compared with. Jesus is never seen as the new Abraham. That position's already been filled. Mary was the one who did not resist the call of God and believed in a promise that seemed absolutely impossible, even when she couldn't see how it would be fulfilled. And you know, I suspect on that day at the cross, seeing all the things that she hoped for, that she believed she had been promised, seemed farther away than ever. Because her yes to God didn't spare Mary the pain and the worry that comes with motherhood. As she stood by the cross and saw her family being divided like her son's clothes, I wonder, did she remember the words of Simeon about how this child of hers was destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and a sign that would be spoken against so that the words of many hearts would be revealed. But then he added, a sword would pierce her heart too. During her pregnancy, Mary had sung about how her son would be the one to scatter the proud, bring down the powerful from their thrones, fill the hungry with good things and fulfil the promises made to Abraham and his descendants. But as she watched him being crushed and humiliated before the superpower of his day, like I'm sure many mothers before or since, did she wonder 
if those dreams and promises were just going to wind up being empty and hollow. And yet the words Jesus speaks from the cross take us beyond motherhood and provide a challenge to us and our attitudes towards family too. Looking from the cross and seeing his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. At one level, Jesus sets an example. Here, when the salvation of the whole world hung in the balance, Jesus remembers the detail. He looks to the pain and the loneliness his mother would feel and commits his mother to his beloved disciples' care. He challenges those who attempt to achieve greatness in our world. A common problem about, among so many so-called human saviours down through the ages has been in the process of dreaming the dreams and building the empires, they've lost sight of the needs of the individual. In the midst of the big plan, the individual becomes expendable. And it doesn't even have to be big, grandiose plans. One of the biggest struggles facing families today is simply the pursuit of a lifestyle. And how easy it is for our priorities to become skewed, to lose sight of what's really important. You know, I've spoken to you numerous times before about the distinction between the important and the urgent. And it's subtle because some of it is so necessary. We have to do the work. And on the surface, it's good stuff we're doing. It can be noble even. But it's not just any individual that Jesus looks out for from the cross. It's his mother. And that in a, itself is a challenge to us because when we lose sight of our priorities, how often it's those for whom we think we're doing it who get forgotten and suffer. How easy it is to lose sight of what is most important of those we are given to love. Those we love the most, we most easily forget and hurt the most. I mean, fail to turn up at work and they'll sack you without the second thought. But at home, they're lumbered with you, whatever. Without making a rod for my own back, there are times when I'm challenged when I sit down with some of you and, and you thank me for coming because you know I'm so busy. And there are times when I am and I try not to carry too much false guilt, but it's still a challenge. And yet I've said it before, however good or rubbish a pastor you think I am, there are times when the person in our church with the worst pastor is Julie. It's so subtle and insidious because it comes under the category of I'm doing God's work. I can even find Bible texts to back me up. Often the more noble 
you can make your cause, the worse our behaviour can be. And that ties into something else that's hidden within those words. Because it's not his brothers to whom Jesus commits his mum. Some writers piece together bits of other gospels and conclude that this beloved disciple was a cousin of Jesus. Maybe he was, don't know. Yet the simple fact remains that although the church is often held up or likes to characterise itself uh, in a way that's the kind of defender of the family. For Jesus himself, family life was far from simple or easy. All of the Gospels record difficulties in his family life. All the Gospels seem to sort of have them doubt him. And it seems at the time of his death, none of his brothers believed in him. Which is why he commits Mary to a disciple. And it's true that God intended family to be a gift for us. A source of strength, of nurture, of support. And it's true that at its best, it's precisely that. Rudyard Kipling once described family as a clan held together with the glue of love and the cement of mutual respect. A family is a shelter from the storm, a friendly port in the waves of life becoming too wild. No person is ever alone who is a member of a family. Hmm. But in our broken, fallen world, we know that that's not always true. For others, the experience is closer to that described by the American comedian Robert Orban. He said when Churchill spoke of fighting them on the beaches, the landing grounds, the fields, the streets and the hills, he said that didn't sound like war to him. That sounded like his family holidays. We can choose our friends, but we can't choose our family. And it's actually probably just as well, else we'd probably all end up alone. Family has the capacity to bring out the best and the worst of us. Most of us, most of the time, would do anything for our families. In fact, if we picked out the instance in which we had done something really difficult or heroic, I suspect the vast majority would be for our families or those friends who are closest to it. Charity appeals tend to sort of generate more generous amount when victims look just like us and those close to us. And yet, whilst the media might push stranger danger, it's also true that most of the really painful stuff that will come our way in life happens within the context of the family. Because we can reserve the worst of our behaviour for the ones whom we say we love. It's no coincidence that the expression we use for harsh criticism is home truths. It's true for many. Home is where the hurt is. And it's not always deliberate. Sometimes much of the hurt within families comes about because we do care so much but we direct it incredibly badly. I've known of families where the husband made life very, very difficult for the wife 
and for their daughters. He wasn't violent or abusive or anything like that. If anything, he loved them too much and just didn't want to see them get hurt. When you got to the root of it, he was just simply being overprotective. He wasn't nasty or vindictive. But as is so often the case, his desire to protect them from harm at times became counterproductive. And yet these words of Jesus also invite us to lift our gaze beyond motherhood and family to life as a church. These words were not just recorded to allow us to enter the private grief of some family and friends. These words are spoken to us. Because here at the foot of the cross, we see Jesus beginning the formation of a new family. As John himself describes at the start of his gospel, it's a family of all who will believe in him and who are therefore given the right to become children of God. Not from natural descent, nor from human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And no doubt there would be something special about Mary's relationship with this disciple. But at the cross... Jesus invites them to look around and see those he has drawn together, whom he calls to love as he loved them. Because at its best, church can be an example of how to live together. However good or bad our families, at the cross, Jesus invites us to look beyond us and to see in each other that we are part of a family that is 2,000 years old, of the living and the dead, with millions of brothers from different mothers and sisters from different misters. Don't take this the wrong way. But just as you can't choose your family, the same is quite often true of the family of God, isn't it? A church we're throwing together with a bunch of people for whom we may or may not have a natural affinity, with whom we may or may not have anything in common, whom we may or may not easily like, but we're still recognised or come told to recognise that we are a family, brothers and sisters. Those who thought they were so different because of gender or race or class or clan are reminded that we're brought together by Jesus' loving solidarity with us. We're invited to recognise that we are one body. That God has brought us together for a reason. William Willimon comments, if the family you grew up in is a pain, consider the family that you've just been adopted into because of Jesus. One of the toughest uh, challenges of following Jesus isn't Jesus himself. It's those who say they're his friends. The novelist Flannery O'Connor, upon returning from Mass in a huge church in New York, once wrote, Although at Mass you see several people you wish you knew, you see thousands you're glad you don't. Let's be honest, church life can be as dysfunctional as family life sometimes, can it? But before we give up in despair, 
We remember it is to rescue our brokenness that Jesus came. And we're invited to remember that despite the questioning of shattered dreams of motherhood experienced by Mary or the trials or tribulations of family life they experienced, the final word had not yet been spoken. For the cross is just the first half of the Easter story. Resurrection would transform those scenarios. It would give the, the events of the cross new meaning. It was in the resurrection that Jesus would see God fulfill the promises of which Mary had sung all those years ago. When she had seen how the powerful flexed their muscles, done their work, and then she saw them defeated by resurrection. It was after the resurrection that Jesus' natural family would know healing as Jesus encountered his brother James, who would go on to lead the first church. In the resurrection, God has begun the process of putting the broken pieces of our lives and his world back together. And however we feel about the family of God in our place, in our town, in our world, the final word has not been spoken on us either. Jesus hasn't finished with us yet and he won't give up on us for he invites us to look after one another, to pray for each other, especially those we are called to love. All the time, yeah, but perhaps especially in this season when we won't be able to meet together. He invites us to think of each other and to hear those words. Here is your mother, father, brother, sister. You're one body. Love one another. And allow him to build that unity within us until the day he completes what he started. For together, we are being reconciled to God and to each other and drawn into the largest family the world has ever known. A family called by God to bless each other and bless the whole world. Grace and peace to you.